afternoon. I'm Susan Beadler, I'm a partner at the Asset Finance team at Reed Smith, where I specialise in transactional shipping. I guess we'll start the easy question, and I'll ask the panel to briefly introduce themselves and tell us who they are and what they do. Should I start? Yeah. yeah. Um, so my name is uh, Magnus Sasse. Uh, I'm a partner in the uh, investment banking uh, team of Arctic Securities, uh, working um, on all types of products uh, towards uh, shipping uh, clients. Jim Sorenza. I'm with D&B for the last 11 years, responsible for the equity and fixed income sales force, and it's my my 40th year in the industry. My name is uh, William Jettedal. I've been with uh, Fernley Securities uh, in Oslo for the last 10 years on the investment banking team and uh, heading the, our shipping, uh, shipping efforts. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Tadros De Cipris. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Navios Partners and I've been in the Navios Group for the last 16 years. Uh, Apollo Almeida, Chief Investment Officer of Tufton. We're an investment manager focused on shipping with about 65 ships worth, uh, a little bit over a billion dollars in a number of funds, mostly private, partly public. Uh, we heard the um, LSC speaker this morning mention our, our listed fund before Tufton, which I joined nearly 14 years ago. I was an investment banker myself, primarily with UBS. Thank you, everyone. All right, I'll start with you, Paolo, if you don't mind, um, from a sort of wider perspective. What are the biggest challenges and pressure points at the moment that you see in terms of investment shipping? And, I mean, I think we have an interesting panel here because we have Stratos from the owner side as well. But I'll start from, start from the investor side. So, Paolo, what do you think are the biggest challenges? Well, I'm, I'll, I'm maybe I'll, I'll split that, that question into, uh, into two questions. One, we, we're a, um, an investment manager focused in shipping, so we look at it from one perspective in that we have capital um, that we expect to invest uh, in shipping, how best do we do that? And then I'll take it from the perspective of our underlying investors and generalist investors in terms of how, how they look at shipping. Um, well, uh, perhaps one common um, issue um, today is clearly how to deal with decarbonization. Um, and uh, I don't think anyone has the answer to that if um, Dr. Stopford doesn't have the answer to it, then I think, and he's the smartest guy in the room, I don't think, uh, I don't think any of us do, but we know it's going to be a long voyage. Um, and uh, even if we think about 2050 uh, as a target, we do have a while to get there. The ships that are likely to produce no emissions in 2050 um, don't necessarily need to be built for you know, another few years, if not, if not longer than that. But that's a common problem. In terms of someone putting capital to work in shipping, I think the A challenge uh, today um, is there is there are very limited um, clear value opportunities today unlike most of the past um, 14 years or so after the financial crisis at some stage either container ships or bulkers or or tankers or some niche market or several niche markets looked very attractive on a value basis with, uh, you know, some expectation of demand recovering and, and lower supply, um, meaning that a ship bought at a significant discount to depreciate replacement cost or some measure like that was likely to appreciate 
over the next five to ten years. I think today there's, it's not quite clear, it, it, there aren't clear opportunities like that as there have been for most of the past 14 years where um, container ships are still significantly above depreciated replacement cost. Tankers are now above, although they weren't six months ago, uh, and bulkers are, are around that level. So clear value opportunities aren't there. If then we look at what a generalist investor thinks about, um, clearly in the, in, the, in the UK, investors, where most of our investors come from, um, a lot of them aren't even uh, thinking about what industry um, to invest in over the past few weeks because of the huge turmoil um, that we've seen here. But clearly they're looking at, you know, do, do we put capital to work in old energy, in new energy, in, in shipping, in hotels, and all, all sorts of businesses. And today we have a very, very um, complicated macroeconomic and geopolitical situation. We think it's one that actually suits shipping quite well, and maybe I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but you know, there are a, a significant um, uh, amount of challenges. However, that's likely to be good for people who are already invested. For people who are already invested, especially if they came in at attractive valuations, uncertainty is good. Um, it's always good for fewer people to be ordering vessels. Uh, yeah, I mean, we also have the ship owner's perspective. Uh, I mean, we live in challenging times. I mean, we all recognize that. Uh, we are seeing, what we are seeing is that in the West, the major impacts of uh, the pandemic are fading away. I mean, today here we are having our event, our forum live. It's something that we could not even imagine for the last couple of years. Uh, the situation is a little bit uh, different in the East, where uh, you have China still struggling with the zero COVID policy. But most importantly, we have the war in uh, Ukraine. And, you know, apart the tragic loss of uh, human lives there, uh, the consequences of the war and the related sanctions, they cause supply shocks. And these supply shocks accelerate inflation and rising interest rates. And also we have the energy, uh, the energy fear, the energy question, whether there will be energy uh, availability, energy security, uh, and the cost of energy, especially here in Europe. So these are challenges that we face in shipping as ship owners. And apart from that, as uh, Paolo already said, we have the increased capex that will be required in order to meet the decarbonization, the new regulations that are coming into play. So ship owners will have to spend uh, capital in order to make their ships uh, comply with uh, the new regulations. And I think these are the major things that we're facing right now. Thank you. Well, let me ask you this. Um, what can ship owners who are looking for a new investment do to ease some of these, these challenges? What will make it easier for you to want to invest? Well, I just want to add that, uh, before we go to the next one, that uh, um, it's really a uh, very good set of opportunity at the moment. Um, um, shipping and the capital markets has been through a decade where the last sort of um, cycles where you could raise capital for growth was, was based on an expectation of earnings and asset values going higher, but this time around it has been supported by real solid earnings um, and earnings have stuck at elevated levels for quite a significant time. At the moment it's, uh, it's a very healthy equity capital market for shipping. Of course the noise in the overall stock market is pulling in the opposite direction, but uh, investors are 
uh, wanting to invest because um, you have very solid earnings supporting the, the investment opportunities. Yes, as Paolo said, the sort of va deep value opportunities are not there anymore, but you can quickly reduce your exposure on getting in at, at these levels through, through, through strong earnings. And as soon as you know, um, the visibility on earnings also get better, we believe in a continued strong spot market and that will at some point also lift the, the period charter rates. We think there's further upside on, uh, on asset values. Jim, I will come back to you in a moment. I have something earmarked especially for you. Oh. Um, but uh, Magnus, may I get your, uh, your thoughts on what, uh, what chip owners might be able to do? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with, uh, with Willem, but I, I, would, I would argue that kind of earnings is one thing, but I think actually returning capital to investors and having uh, capital allocation discipline is, is kind of a key part of, of the equation. And I think we are um, fortunate enough to be in a situation where essentially ship owners are uh, prohibited from ordering vessels um, in the smaller sizes in the commoditized segments, such as tankers and, and bulkers in particular. And I think that's obviously thanks to, to the container owners, um, but also due to the fact that there's so much uncertainty regarding uh, the fuels of the future. So if you are a, an owner with five to 10, maybe 15 MRs in your fleet today, you're taking a huge gamble if you're putting uh, kind of the cost of a dual fuel propulsion system on top of the, uh, the cost of a conventional new building today. So I think that has enabled a lot of owners to actually um, to, to delever their, their balance sheets, which is a super healthy thing because it creates more stability. And even though shipping is a, an immensely uh, volatile business, I think getting that stability enables it to be more of a long-term hold um, kind of uh, strategy for, for investors. And I think that will open up a significant amount of, of incremental demand. Um, and I think there's so many good examples of of kind of companies across all sectors and, and, and you as well as Stratos that kind of you've been through very difficult times but now I think we are in a kind of a truly unique and I hate to say it but the, this time is different because owners are in a more kind of healthy state and you are in a position to actually return capital to investors rather than spending that first dollar to go to the yard because you're keen on more ships right because you have a bias of always being more positive than, than the investor are. So, so I think that's kind of what, what will drive um, demand going forward. And people will, will at some point realize that, right? And that's where you get kind of the focus on, on actual earnings and yields rather than, as Paul said, as on price to NAV or whatever kind of historical measures. Thank you. Um, it's like you've changed hands to capital markets more specifically. Um, 2021 was a big year for uh, debt and raises, but what have we seen this, this year in terms of equity yeah, and capital market transactions? How does that reflect the investor appetite in shipping? Jim, you, uh, you, tell, you can tell this question is coming to you. <laughs> yeah. We miss it. We miss, we miss 21. And, and just for the history of the world, I mean, the world has never raised as much capital as it did last year. 
um, in the U.S. between investment grade, high yield, um, companies raised over the last two years about $3 trillion a year in the U.S. Uh, we raised something like $840 billion of equity-related capital in the U.S. last year. That was, that was a double off the old-time record. And then you can throw in term loan Bs and some other stuff. But the amount of capital raised last year was, was off the charts. And the amount of capital raised this year is not. You know, as of last week, we've raised $87 billion worth of high-yield paper in the U.S. A year ago, at, the, at this time, the first number was a four, and then 87. Um, and on the equity side, the IPO business is down about 90% uh, year-on-year. So, so the capital formation has been horrific. I think the major Wall Street firms have done clients a massive disservice by telling them to wait. Um, you know, bonds mature. Equity, maybe you can wait, but bonds mature. And so if you kick the can down the road for the first nine, 10 months of this year, at some point you've got paper to replace. And so all that's happened so far is about a 300 point move in the treasury curve without a significant widening in the credit spreads yet. And obviously that could be the next shoe to drop. So the cost of capital for the companies that we care about uh, are going up a lot. Um, this year hasn't been horrific for shipping, and it's been actually pretty good for energy, among the few sectors you can say that. A lot got done in LNG, you know, Accelerate IPO, Google Company IPO, a few fallen offerings, a few ATM programs, but the market hasn't been closed to shipping this year. Um, but once again, it's in, it's in the minority. And uh, I, know that, I know that equity values are down, and I know that yields are up, but uh, every quarter that uh, the major firms tell clients to wait, to me, is just another expensive quarter, unless you can wait a long time. Just, just a few additional <clears throat> comments to that. I, I totally agree that the gross numbers uh, that has been raised in the public equity markets doesn't really reflect the state of the shipping equity capital markets. The deals that have gone to market has been very well received. Uh, investors coming in early in the book, books multiple times oversubscribed. Uh, IPOs within LNG shipping, as was mentioned, car carriers, uh, FSRUs, uh, follow-ons for tankers, block transactions in, in container shipping companies. So I actually think there's, uh, it's been more sort of a, a lack of uh, a desire on the, on the shipping companies to, to raise capital. You have seen tremendous earnings, um, uh, small uh, capex programs and really not that much for the companies to, to raise capital to finance. Um, so I think that's really the, the reason for the low gross numbers in terms of equity capital raised. You also see in the daily turnover liquidity in the, in the shares of the listed companies. It's uh, gone through the roof, at least if you compare to historical numbers. Um, admittedly, um, for some shipping companies historically, Liquidity has been low, uh, but um, no, it's, uh, that's, that's the key takeaway from, from our end, at least. Thank you. Um, I think, yeah, Jim mentioned that it's, the market is not closed for shipping, and you've talked more generally about what, um, what the ship owner can do. Um, 
but you know, if you are now a ship owner who's thinking I'm going to, I'd like to like an IPO here, I think that would be a great idea, but actually maybe not right now. What are the things they should be thinking about? Where, where are we? Where are we seeing an opportunity for a ship owner who might want to actually um, go out into the capital markets, uh, open up to the panel? Can I start? Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, so um, just one one thing before, um, although it's, it is related uh, to this question, um, Stratos and I only got to answer the question about the challenges uh, yeah. <laughs> that that, uh, that we face. Um, I don't think either of us are uh, are negative. I think we both think that there are excellent opportunities um, uh, in shipping. I, I touched on it when I said that despite all of these negative um, macro economic and geopolitical issues, a lot of them are actually uh, positive for shipping. I, I didn't have too much to add to what Willem and Magnus actually said about the, you know, the positive um, aspects of shipping. I will just add that, that some of the points that were discussed in terms of um, returning capital uh, to, to shareholders, for example, um, being disciplined in capital, being disciplined in, in um, allocating and reallocating capital is something that we as an investment manager obviously um, uh, prioritize very, very highly. And it's something that we've been doing, including in our, um, our listed fund here uh, in London. Um, in terms of, so I can't answer as a ship owner because I'm, I'm not a ship owner. I, I was a naval architect once, but uh, I am no longer, and I'm not a ship owner, but in terms of a shipping investor, in terms of what we can offer to, um, uh, in terms of structure to, to uh, the markets, um, it, capital discipline is very important and, and alignment. So you want to see a structure where the ship owner sponsor, whoever it is, or investment manager has a lot of their own capital in the structure. Um, you want to see other forms of alignment in terms of, you know, they get paid when they perform. Uh, they don't get paid for collecting assets or buying ships or selling ships or ordering new builds, but mostly, uh, mostly made, um, based on performance. And they return capital. Um, and I think that that's one thing that we are seeing more and more. We've seen that come back now, including with a lot of the U.S. listed companies that used to return a lot of capital, then spent a long time where they probably wanted to return a lot of capital but didn't have any to, uh, to return, and now have gone back to doing that, but at least they're, they're back in the right place. So before we, uh, we carry on, uh, an admin point that the clock has disappeared, so we don't actually know how much time we have left. <laughs> Can I add to, yeah, uh, to what Paul is saying? I mean, shipping has been volatile, and uh, it's, it has extreme reactions, extreme reactions to some global events. The good thing is that not all segments react on the same way. So usually you have segments that are performing well, and segments that are not performing well. So I think that in order to be able and return capital to shareholders and have a stable uh, and based, you know, cash flow and uh, predictable cash flow, diversification is key. I mean, in Navios, we are diversified in three segments, tankers, uh, dry bulk, and container ships. And we see the movements of uh, these segments, you know, on a more counter-cyclical way. And, you know, diversification has certain benefits, at least from the ship owner's perspective. Uh, first of all, you can optimize your uh, chartering strategy and create a sustainable uh, profitability on, uh, on your fleet. I mean, you can uh, go longer term in uh, uh, segments that are 
performing well and be patient and wait and uh, go shorter durations on segments that are not performing well. Uh, there is also uh, the fact that you can counter the cyclicality of uh, the volatility on the asset values. So that creates a balanced uh, strength and a balanced stability. So, you know, vessel values are uh, very volatile, but having different segments due to this volatility. And the second, and I think it's one of the most important uh, elements that we uh, see on diversification, is of course the capital allocation. You can capture the cyclical opportunity and have an optimal capital allocation. You can use the cash that you are earning in uh, segments that are performing very well and use this cash in order to buy vessels on, vessel on uh, segments that are on distressed basis. And usually these are the most attractive and most you know, uh, powerful investments that we can do, investments at the, at the low part of the cycle. So all in all, you know, having a diversified vehicle, having a diversified company, that creates stable returns and can, you, know, you can get stable returns and even performance, although you have uneven segment performance. I actually going to um, touch on something um, that um, Paolo said about the macroeconomic elements and uncertainty. And obviously, it's not a surprise to anyone that there is a lot of it at the moment. The UK is doing a good job of adding to it um, this week. Um, it all sort of sounds quite gloomy if you look at it, but what are there in terms of opportunities for shipping that might come out of this? Well, I'm not going to put it. I'm not going to put a, a, a very specific uh, forecast on it, time-wise. Um, but certainly, dollar-wise, it's a huge opportunity, and that's decarbonization, which uh, which um, I don't think there's there's too much need to uh, to uh, repeat. You know, some of the challenges as well as opportunities that uh, Dr. Stopford. Uh, mentioned already. Now that's a that's a clear opportunity, um, but in an uncertain um, uh, environment where uh, two key concerns of inflation and uh, geopolitical uh, risk are both factors that not always but often do um, result in strong cash flow or at least strong asset value um, appreciation uh, in shipping makes a diversified uh, investment portfolio in shipping um, with low leverage um, and with some charter coverage, um, one that we think is, is very, very attractive. Although there are some you know, major exceptions to, to that, this sort of environment with geopolitical risk and potentially high inflation is one that can be very positive for shipping, especially when, with the challenges of decarbonization, there's unlikely to be many ships delivering over the next five years. Uh, no, I mean, uh, Paolo is, uh, is very correct on that. Uh, I think that, sorry. I think that, you know, investment opportunities in shipping, uh, you know, they always exist. Paolo is very correct to say that uh, it's very difficult today to do an assessment on investing on new vessels. Uh, vessels, they have a useful life of 20, 25 years, so you, are not, you do not want today to make their own decision and uh, get stuck with a vessel that has a useful life, which is it's a, it's a wrong, in the wrong place. So, uh, in this case, I mean, uh, we see the regulations that are coming into effect 
uh, from 2023. Uh, there is a lot of uh, the parts of the fleet that uh, effectively will be phased out. Uh, there are some things that we can do as uh, ship owners uh, in, the, in our current fleet, you know, uh, doing more uh, slowdown on the fleet. Uh, we can, you know, change the propellers, make some tweaks in, the, in uh, our vessel engines, and this will result about 30% of the reductions that are required. But what is important to see what's going to be the next generation of fuel in order to be able and comply to the regulations uh, as we go forward. And we are not there yet. I mean, we are experimenting uh, with a lot of uh, uh, different uh, fuels. I mean, ammonia, methanol, uh, hydrogen are, you know, things that we are seeing today. LNG, we feel it's an intermediate fuel. It will take you only through to the next step, but it's not going to solve the problem. Uh, one thing that we see in uh, shipping, unfortunately, we're not a subsidized industry. So unlike, you know, airlines or cars that uh, they receive subsidies in order to do their research in shipping, uh, we're not subsidized. So we will have to wait and see what is going on and what is happening on the long-haul travel and what's going to be the resolution, especially on the airlines. And most probably this is something that we will also uh, adapt in, in the shipping space. Um, I think if the current uh, turmoil, if you will, uh, continue as it is now with high energy prices and inflationary pressure. I think it's primarily a positive for shipping. Uh, Paolo mentioned the um, inflation aspect. Uh, high energy prices um, is also positive for uh, shipping of uh, commodities that uh, goes into energy production. There's nothing better for a ship owner than the cargo being transported, being, being expensive than uh, the cargo owner and the trader or the shipper doesn't really care too much about what freight is costing. And that's what we're seeing at the moment in many segments. If, if those elevated commodity prices lead to a demand destruction, then of course um, the picture is a bit different. And that's just part of you know, what goes into the investment decision at the moment in shipping, I think, uh, balancing those two aspects. Um, downside protection is a low order book low yard capacity, uh, low leverage um, in general for the, for the players. So if, if we had a correction, it shouldn't get uh, too ugly, we think. Um, um, but the positive in terms of opportunities is that, of course, asset values will come down and, and you have a more, in a historical context, uh, attractive entry point to, to, to grow your fleet uh, further. So the, uh, the supply side is easy to understand, the order book's easy to understand, the demand side is much more difficult to understand, and all these disruptions uh, often create uh, different patterns, and it's been a, a volatile year in terms of trade patterns, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that we haven't seen the end of the volatility. You know, things that are different, you know, when you take oil or other products, uh, or, or iron or coal, um, Inventory levels for most of them were below five years, five year averages in the Northern Hemisphere. So tell me what this winter is going to be like and we'll figure out what the trade flows are going to be. You know, we just heard about coal going from Indonesia into uh, Italy. That wasn't a trade pattern we probably thought about, you know, 10 months ago. Uh, so all, all these changes in trade pattern, you think about the, you know, the strategic reserves in the U.S., and where we've taken those levels down and ahead of the election in the first week of November, we're probably gonna take them down a little bit further. 
Um, that'll change the way that uh, you know certain trade patterns work. And uh, the, the better that analysts can help investors understand the demand side, the better companies can help investors understand the demand side, great. The supply side's pretty easy. Yeah, no, I, I think there's been uh, a lot of uh, smart comments made, but uh, uh, relating to, to, to your point, uh, Willem, in terms of the actual, I think people have realized that the value of securing transport for cargo is kind of increased massively uh, due to this kind of recent um, state of the world that we, we now have, and I think that is something that is obviously very positive for, for owners and, and hence also for, for investors. And I think also the general public has woken up and, and realized that uh, kind of shipping is a major part of, of global trade um, and, uh, and hence also kind of uh, um, that they see it as a, an, an investment opportunity. So, How much of that are you actually seeing in your day-to-day -day life at the moment? And where do you see that developing in the short future, short-term future? Um, I'll put that up to whoever wants to pick that up. I'll start first. <laughs> we killed it last year with sustainable bonds. Killed it, even in shipping. Um, container shipping uh, supplier uh, raised a decent amount of money in uh, Norwegian bonds on their on their route to 70 new build orders in containers last year. Um, even even chemical tankers, we did uh, sustainability bonds, and so the the sustainability influence on the debt capital market side, on the bond side, I think has a long way to go. The sustainability influence on the equity side, I think, peaked in the first quarter of 21. You know, two couple things happen. Obviously, the number of companies that qualify for being a sustainable investment grew at a, grew at a growth rate that was uh, much greater than the assets under management and the funds that were chasing them. And and the best thing you can say about the assets under management of the funds on the equity side is that the ESG funds in Europe, their assets declined by less than most other asset classes. But once again, you've got a universe of security. So. The equity side, I think we're beyond the peak of influence on valuation. The bond side, I think we have a long way to go. I think Jim is right in that it's primarily the, the debt market with the, with the bond side that uh, has, has this important feature and we'll, we'll see more of it. Um, not that we work with the bank debt that much, but that's also our impression from speaking to the ship owners that uh, the banks are putting a lot of pressure on their clients to to comply with with similar similar uh, call it covenants or um, measures. Uh, agree that on the equity side, it's not that easy to measure um, through the deals or in investments that we source to our investors. But uh, what we tell the issuers is that you know it's important to. To benchmark with the with the best in class uh, on on ESG, and so that you at least do whatever you can with with your current asset base to to be as uh, green and uh, you know low, low carbon footprint as as possible. 
Yeah, I, I think it is with kind of other stuff as well. Is you have to have a clear value proposition towards investors, and especially kind of on the on the public equity side, if you're if you're going to market with a deal, you have to have something that is um, doesn't exist in the market or that kind of brings a a kind of specific value to to the investors. And if you don't have kind of if you're going with kind of older assets or um, if you're going to kind of yeah, do stuff that is outside of the typical ESG pockets of investors, then you have to kind of have uh, other value um, elements that uh, uh, that weigh up for 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 that. I think. Um, I, I think that um, I, I agree with it, you know with uh, Jim's um, data point or anecdote about the first quarter of 2021 sort of being peak peak uh, ESG, that's, that's probably right. But I think that the shipping industry and, you know, all of us players in it do have to appreciate that at some point sustainability does become an existential issue for us, for the whole industry and for um, uh, individual um, companies clearly the geopolitical issues in the world today sort of uh, trump any issues any short-term issues about decarbonization and, and um, you know moving away from coal uh, for example but having an overwhelmingly UK and continental European uh, in, in investor base having a sound sustainability um, um, set of policies and targets on emissions reductions on crew health and safety is is not quite an existential issue um, yet in terms of raising capital from institutional investors. It's pretty close to that. Maybe it's um, it's dissipated a little bit because of the unique geopolitical situation that we're in today, but it soon will will be again. And I think it's uh, the the industry cannot. Um, Underappreciate um, how important how important it is for the, for the long term. I just want to say here that uh, you know, from our perspective at least, we're starting to see a fundamental change on way the way capital is allocated, both from the investor standpoint, but also uh, from the financing uh, side. And I mean, uh, we are seeing more and more of the sustainability-linked financing that they set specific targets, and this reduces or increases your uh, cost. It's not to the level that uh, we want it to be or it's going to be in the future, but I think we are starting to see increased uh, uh, penetration of this, uh, of this sustainability-linked financing. Uh, also, what is very important is that you know, companies are now being much more transparent on their ESG. They're doing um, you know, at least annual uh, reporting of their ESG initiatives, and it's much easier for you know, people to evaluate better uh, their good standing and how they do on ESG. Uh, on the banking side, we see uh, the banks that uh, they are applying the Poseidon principles, and this has changed a lot the landscape on the vessels that are being financed. Uh, what we are seeing now is that older vessels, uh, less fuel efficient or you know, with more carbon emissions, uh, they are struggling to get financing. And they're struggling because also the bank does not want to have a vessel financed that in a couple of years' time maybe it's, this is out of the market. So we see that uh, newer vessels, more modern vessels, are getting more attractive financing, more attractive terms. And also, this is, for us as uh, ship owners, this is a thing that we need to take care of. We need to manage the age of the fleet. We need to make sure that we have uh, modern fleets. 
Uh, we need to sure that, uh, make sure that we have the, the fleets that have the most recent technological advancements. And it's going to be much easier also from our perspective to be able and meet these requirements and be able to go to the next, uh, to the next level. So I think it will, we will see uh, this trend growing a lot in the, in the, in the future. I think we'll probably speak about a lot of the stuff that we've spoken about this year, actually. I don't think uh, kind of that much will, will change. I think there will be still um, kind of, there will still not be a conclusion on, on how to kind of move towards to kind of the, the green shift or uh, which propulsion system to kind of go out in, in order. And I think um, earnings will still be strong. In, in kind of all segments within within shipping, and I think the the public uh, players uh, will will have kind of uh, returned a kind of significant amount of capital to investors. And I think the only difference will be that hopefully there will be kind of even more both equity but also debt investors in in the uh, in the room. This time next year, we're probably about halfway through the uh, new build program on the container side. So I think we'll be talking about what the shipyards are going to build next because they're not going to build nothing. I'm also quite quite positive the next uh, 12 months. I think um, I think uh, most segments will be seeing decent earnings and. Uh, and that also you know, on the dry bulk and, and container side where it's a bit more uh, uncertainty at the moment. Uh, the market will have found the, found the floor and, uh, and it's easier for investors to, to evaluate, evaluate also uh, going uh, more, more long in those, uh, those segments as well. Susan, unfortunately, I didn't bring my crystal ball with me, so <laughs> now we have to make up something. I mean, really, what we are... Uh, what we will be discussing next year depends on how certain events will evolve this year. I mean, we have to see how uh, the war in Ukraine will develop, whether we will have uh, you know, a normalization on uh, the restrictions, on the global trade restrictions, or there will be even more sanctions, I mean, depending on how this will develop. Uh, we have to see how the COVID will uh, develop also, the COVID situation. The pandemic in the West is uh, fading, but in the East, we see that there is still the zero COVID policy, so we have to see whether China will come back, and this will have a boost, on, especially on the dry bulk. And, uh, you know, last but not least, uh, there are fears of a recession. So if next year is going to be a recessionary economy, we're going to have a totally different discussion. And, uh, you know, with uh, demand and in all segments basically uh, being very limited. So I think the resolution or not of all these uh, events will dictate also our discussion for yeah. Um, I, I think there will be um, a, a couple of things, maybe, um, and I don't disagree with anything the other uh, panelists uh, have said that we would think about um, or we talk about a year from now. Um, we all hope and I think we do expect that, that listed companies especially will return a lot of capital um, to, uh, to their shareholders. I think um, nearly um, all, all of them have uh, pretty sound prospects, especially especially in the tanker space. Um, I think also, though, what we may talk about a year from now is new sources of capital 
um, more long-term uh, institutional investors will have started to come into the industry um, primarily to finance decarbonization. And um, we at Tufton will be part of both of those trends, returning capital and putting new capital into the industry for decarbonization. Okay, thank you. That's, that's out of time. Thanks very much for coming.